We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream. This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRunGood.com. All of the stats, tools, and info that I will be looking at when I dive into the futures market for next year's majors can be found over at RickRunGood.com. Listen, we are in crunch time right now. Kapalua is less than two weeks away. A brand new golf season is on the horizon. So how about this for a New Year's resolution? Take golf betting, DraftKings, whatever it may be, Let's take it more seriously this year. And the only way to do that, in my opinion, is to equip yourself with all of the tools, all of the data that is so important in golf betting and daily fantasy. If you sign up today using coupon code Andy, you can get access to not just the largest fantasy golf and golf betting focused database on the internet, but all of my written work, my season long Fantasy golf rankings are almost finished. I've put way too much time into those. Uh, But if you are playing season-long fantasy golf, and I know you are because I keep getting questions and seeing those leagues fill up, you're definitely going to want to be subscribed for all of the season-long content that I am doing. My big board is up right now. My weekly rankings throughout the season, start-sit questions, premium Slack channel where you can chop it up with not just me, but all of your league mates. It is a truly great community that I am proud to be a part of uh, and that we would love to have you be a part of as well. So sign up today. That's it. That is rickrungit.com, coupon code Andy. We'd love to have you as part of the team. All right, coming up on this podcast it is me, it is Twitterless Steve, it is part two of the 2023 Majors Preview. Today we are talking about Los Angeles Country Club, one of my favorite golf courses of the world, one of, in my opinion, the true great American masterpieces. This is George Thomas's seminal work. This is his masterpiece. This is his Mona Lisa, in my opinion. And I can't wait to break it all down. And then Royal Liverpool as well. Another golf course that really blew me away in my research. They made a ton of changes since we were last here in 2014. There is a ton of great info in this podcast. This is a good one. You're not going to want to miss it. So without further ado, let's talk to Steve. 
All right, Twitterless Steve is here, part two of the 2023 Majors preview. We already knocked out the Masters and Oak Hill. That is already up on the podcast feed. We dropped that a little over a week ago. And for today, we're going to dive into part two. A couple courses that provide a little bit more mystery, we were just saying before we went hot. Uh, But I'm excited to talk these through with you, my friend. Yeah, I am too. Uh, I'm actually, it's it's kind of fortunate that we had a little bit of a break because I was able to explore the property of LACC a little bit more on Google Earth and find some other uh, videos online that took me uh, a little while to find. But yeah, I think uh, it's, LACC is definitely going to be interesting. I feel like, we'll talk about this a little later. I feel like I need to watch what I ended up watching five or six more times to get my arms around it. Cause I feel like after kind of diving into that golf course a little more, I have just way more questions and just my head's kind of just, I'm kind of blown away by this place, trying to figure out <laughs> what's it all about different comps. Like, cause it feels it, it's just, it's, it's wild. It feels, it's just a wild piece of property. And I'm still kind of coming to terms about like, how I feel about it and what I think is going to work there. Well, well, you know, it's interesting. It You speak to how kind of strange a piece of work that it is. You know, it is literally just to provide some context for people. It's right in probably like the biggest, one of the biggest streets in Los Angeles, right? So I, I can't remember where I read this. I read this somewhere. I'm pretty sure that outside of Central Park, it is, the most expensive piece of real estate in the country. Um, it, it it's literally like Steve and I know. Ha, have you been to LA too often? I've actually never been to California. You've never been to LA, but see, yeah. but you've been to New York City a ton of times. Yes, yes, of course. So it'd be it it essentially be like if a top ten course in the country was plopped in the middle of Central Park, right? Like like it it is literally right off of Wilshire Boulevard, and it has this interesting dichotomy between accessibility and extreme lack of accessibility right where it's it's literally <laughs> yeah. right in the center of the second biggest city in the united states but on wilshire you can't see a single hole i mean it is completely right. guarded by these giant hedges so it's almost mm-hmm. like it's right in your hands and it's so close if you live in la and you live there i mean i literally live five minutes from the course but yet at the same time is so far away as well. Yeah. Like I, I'm looking right now at Google Earth. I got the uh, the clubhouse right here. There's literally just one entrance into the club and it looks to be about maybe 10 feet wide. There's a gate. Um, no idea how they're going to make this work, Steve, to be well, honest so, with you. If we're so, talking logistics. So if we're, if so high level, maybe I'll get this take out of the way. And this might get aggregated. This is probably going to go up on like Bleacher Report or something as like the shock headline and taken out of context. When I digested this place, got a sense of the routing, mapped it out, looked at some of the holes and where I think it's going to go. I am under the opinion that I don't think this should be a golf course that should host a major championship. And let me explain that take. It has okay. nothing to do with the architecture. It has nothing to do with you know, how difficult I think it's going to play. I think it will play difficult. I think Gil Hans did a really good job with you know, the restoration. There's a few things as far as like 
you go to a major championship venue as far as like you just said logistics i don't really know where the 40,000 people are going to fit into this place it's a lot of golf course in a relatively tight piece of property mm-hmm. and i'm a little worried about you know all right where they put the grandstands you know it's you know sometimes you see on the pga tour they like put grandstands over the top of like interesting features on the golf course i'm a little concerned about where they might put some grandstands here like maybe it won't look quite as good on tv as it would yeah i mean they're gonna i mean they're gonna have to put it on like the backyard of the playboy mansion on 14 right yeah there's not much you know i will say this though steve because i have had the pleasure of playing the course uh, a couple of years ago and I've played um, it has two courses. So yes. what they're essentially going to do. And I played the, uh, I played the South course a bunch of times. I played the North course only once I played the South course a bunch of times. What they're essentially going to do is they're going to turn like the entire South course into practice facilities yeah. and driving range area. And that's where the media tent is going to be and merchandise tent and all that stuff. So that at least they do have another course that they can kind of turn into that. They can start accommodating people there. Yeah. It's similar to Oak Hill where basically the merchandise tent is going to be at the driving range. Right. And all these other yeah, courses. They use the West course the of the driving range. Yeah. 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 So, so that's not a really concern, but like as far as like fitting People here, like, how are people going to get from one side of the course to the other? And I'm looking too, like, there's, there's, there's a lot of like, like nexuses and like central hubs of like a lot of holes, all in one real tight area. Like, first, like, I'm looking at an example. Like, all right, so guys are going to be coming down and playing the second green. Well, mm-hmm. within about a hundred yard wide space, you're going to have a group play the second green, and then like 15 feet away from that, guys seen off on three. Right behind the second green is the eighth hole, the green on eight. And then yeah. up the ridge there, you got guys teeing off on nine, guys playing 16, and guys yeah, I was going to say 16, like the course kind of ends in a similar spot too. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as like US Open conditions and difficulty, I think there's going to be a big pace of play issue as far as guys bet getting backed up on groups, guys having had to wait. Yeah, we um, might get that Southern yeah. Hills thing again where you have guys like teeing off right on top of each other. Yeah, so, so there's a couple of those. Like that's one. Another kind of backup spot would be guys playing the green on 10, guys teeing off on 11, guys playing the green on 15, guys teeing off on 16. So that's a bit of an issue. And then a little bit up the course, you have guys playing the par four, par three, fourth, and then like right next to the green, teeing off on five. Yeah, guys coming back down the hill on seven and teeing off directly behind the green on eight. So, so when I when I prep for this tournament, I end up finding on the USGA app the uh, the Walker Cup in 2017 Sunday mm-hmm. singles, which was fantastic by the way. Which also kind of me got me a little pissed off that the PGA Tour doesn't have an app like the US Open does. It. Have you ever <laughs> seen the US Open app on Roku? Uh, I have not. No. It it has the entire library of any USGA event you can ever find. Is it really? Mid-Ams, US Open, Women's Open, and the Walker Cup. Literally, I'm gonna have to any- check that out because I'm a huge yeah. fan of the venues that the USGA decides to go to. Yeah, so I couldn't find anything on the really besides like highlights on YouTube, but they had the full FS1 broadcast of the 2017 Sunday singles. God, on the Walker the Cup was Open. on FS1. 
It was. This was when Fox, <laughs> you had, I forget who the Irish guy was. Uh, he was a little down because the, uh, the the team of Britain and Ireland got their asses handed to them. Well, yeah. as as they should have. That was an iconic team, which I'm sure we'll talk about coming up soon. <laughs> it was, but it also had Faxon and Stuart Sink on there. Uh, they were talking about how Stuart Haggison had his club stolen. And uh, oh, come on. That guy like owns LACC. Well, he they, were, they made a big deal <laughs> that he was a member there too. So, yeah. But anyway, so I was able to take this in and while they did it as a trial run for the U.S. Open and it worked because there's only what, 20 guys playing the course. There was probably not a ton of there were not a ton of spectators, a thousand yeah. people, maybe like mostly yeah. family. And this almost seems like a reverse Cotter situation where the USGA was so desperate to get into the L.A. market. And mm-hmm. listen, from a yardage standpoint, difficulty standpoint. Like if this was COVID times and there were no fans, there were no infrastructure, I think this would be Oh, it'd be perfect. Perfect. Yeah. But I can see it just being kind of a clusterfuck as far as getting rounds done, backups, like that might become a little bit of like a, a like a nerf storyline to this yeah. tournament. Well, that well, we that, that that's what happened a little bit at the country club, even to a certain extent too, yeah. right? And I wasn't at the country club. I'll be at LACC, so I'll definitely let you know how it ends up working out but people that went to the country club said you know entering and leaving the tournament was a bit of a nightmare and that's kind of the problem that you run into too with trying to play golf in these bigger markets is you know you're playing golf in the middle of boston and i mean the country club's not in the middle of boston but the the roads leading into where Brookline was like all of the people coming from Boston, the shuttles, it creates a bit of a logistical challenge. And, you know, for the most part, we'll see how it ends up working out. I think that this was incredibly smart. I think that there should be a U.S. open on the West coast or a PGA championship on the West coast. I think they should have one hell every other year. Right. I, I think it's, it is shocking to me that there's not a regular PGA tour event every single year in New York. It is shocking to me that they do not go to Chicago more often, which is another great golf city, right? Like this was a very shrewd and smart operation. I think even given the logistical challenges and we can start talking about it, but I don't know how much you've dug into this, but I mean, this was a, this was a struggle because the members for a long time had to kind of be talked into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I didn't dig so much into that, but like I kind of mentioned, it seemed like the USGA just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And finally the members relented at the, you know, in order to host it, which I'm glad, I mean, looking at this golf course, it is wonderful that, you know, this, the land itself is just so interesting with all the, you know, elevation changes, the, the natural barrancas, the, yeah. the canyons, like, it, the bunker work too is really good. We'll talk about that in a little really bit because based on what I saw from the Walker Cup, like those are going to be really tough to get up out of. Uh, and they talk about that on the broadcast too. So I, I was trying to when I watched the Sunday singles. Well, t- two thoughts, you know, kind of kept in mind. First of all, and maybe we'll talk about the Ryder Cup at the end, but um, you know, looking at the two teams, you, you just mentioned it. It was it was a legendary U.S. team. You had a lot of really big stars and Zalatoris, Scheffler, Colin Morikawa, yeah, my boy Stu Hagistan, yeah, Mav yeah. McNeely, Doug Gim. Shout out Doug Gim. Yeah, shout out Cameron Champ, our guy. <laughs> well, 
you know, Cam Champ, I, I'd be shocked bunch, if he's qualified for the year. He missed a bunch of bunnies. I'm like, oh, you know what? You were the same player back then as you are now. <laughs> so, but like, there's a couple other guys that US team too that like, like Braden Thornberry beat his opponent by like seven and six on Sunday. And he was supposed to be like the next big thing. I, they talked about how he finished, I think, top 10 on a PGA tour event that he played over there. And he's kind of struggled to break through. He's been yeah, playing he's... in the minor leagues. Norman Jong, too. That he was the youngest guy in that U.S. team, and you know, I, I remember the no laying up guys doing um, a video with him. You know, when he was kind of up and coming, he struggled to get out of the Corn Ferry Tour as well. Uh, he didn't get his card last year. I think he just missed out. So, but that kind of just describes the amount of depth on that team. And then you go to the Great Bear and Ireland team, and, and if, if you want to question why guys like Seamus Power and Sepp Strocker are getting consideration for Europe, uh, look at that 2017 Walker Cup team because. Only one guy really made it out, and that was Robert Mack. Bobby Mack, yeah. Yeah, but that's yeah. it. Like, it's it's really just kind of – we'll talk about it later maybe, but um, it was a complete mismatch. I mean, that's why the U.S. waxed them. But as far as the golf course, though, I was trying to figure out, like, what yeah, – let, let me zoom out for okay. a little bit. What, yeah, what, sure. what, let me set the stage a little bit before okay. we, we dive into it. So mm-hmm. this is a golf course that was designed in 1927 by George Thomas. There's a lot of – history uh even before that i mean the first the property was kind of laid out like in the late 1700s right and george thomas for those that do not know he is from the philadelphia school of architecture this guy is somebody that you know i have a lot of respect for i believe that he's you know probably one of the most iconic designers to ever do it there's a fantastic book on him by the way written by jeff shackleford that i would encourage everyone to check out and that really dives into like it in much greater depth his design philosophy which a lot of it steve and i'm sure you'll notice too i mean these are not golf courses that we get to see a ton on tv but like there's a lot of marion pine valley influence and kind of this rugged style of the bunkering i mean these guys in the philadelphia school were really the first to kind of spearhead strategic architecture right like these guys were really at the forefront of this movement and george thomas was a guy that was raised in philadelphia and in the 1920s he moved out to los angeles he was one of the first guys to kind of come out to los angeles and say hey this is some pretty great land over here i can start building some golf courses out here and he has like a very small resume i think he's designed man only a handful of golf courses but amongst them are los angeles country club Riviera, which I'm sure many are familiar with, and Bel Air Country Club, which are, you know, the three heavy hitters in Los Angeles. Those three golf courses are considered to be the best three golf courses, not only in Los Angeles, but some of the best golf courses in the country. And then George Thomas died at in 1932, right? Like he he really didn't get an opportunity to have a career of, you know, some of these other guys that ended up doing it well into their 50s and 60s and 70s, right? And so this is widely viewed as his masterpiece. And many will quibble and say Riviera, Riviera is right there. I think, you know, most people in the circles that I follow believe that LACC is a little bit of a step above. But essentially, what happened to Los Angeles Country Club is what happens to many golden age golf clubs over, you know, the span of the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s is where, you know, the golf course is kind of loses a little bit of touch with its 
true integrity, the true way that it was intended to be designed for a number of reasons because of, you know, maintenance and all the bunker splashes that kind of create these ridges within the greens because of modern technology, uh, a number of different reasons, right? And so in 2010, our guy, Steve, uh, the guy that has been known to has become a bit of an expert in the restoration process. And you're probably familiar with him if you've listened to my stuff around the country club last year that we did. But Gil Hans was brought in in 2010 and he completed this was not like a there are a couple different renovations and styles of restorations. One of them is like you have a guy come in and he shuts down the golf course for like a year and nobody plays it. And then like, boom, it's a new place. Gil Hans actually doesn't really like to do that. He, 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 and he did a similar thing at the country club as well, where he kind of started coming in in 2010 and making some of these small incremental changes. The golf course never really like shut down. It just, it, it started added some things and basically between 2010 and 2017, Gil Hans completed this incredible seven-year restoration uh, in hopes of getting championships to Los Angeles Country Club, right? And the Walker Cup in 2017 was basically supposed to be that first kind of, okay, let's see how this goes. And obviously, as both of us have already alluded to, it ended up being you know, a, a pretty big success just in terms of our kind of corner of the universe in terms of like the architecture and, and how the architecture turned out and how that was able to cater to the best players in the world. And so this is basically the big task now, right? Like this is, this is the two true crown jewel. Gil Hans has talked before about how, you know, this is some of the best work that he's ever done. This is, you know, some of the best land that he's ever worked on as well. So basically just to give the background on it, it's a George Thomas design uh, that has been, not really overhauled, but restored by Gil Hans. And that's kind of the golf course that you're going to see today. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think you just mentioned the land here and like, that was the first striking feature I noticed, like just mapping this out is it, it's dramatic land movement, a lot of elevation change. Like I, I'm looking for example, on the fifth hole here, it's about 358 feet above L, above sea level there. The green sits about 70 feet above the tee box and it's 488 yards. And, you know, and then you go to the next hole. It's a short par four. You're teeing off about 70 feet above the green from there. So a lot of dramatic elevation changes, a lot of, you know, you know, you're going to have to rely on your caddy as far as making adjustments to your approach shots. It, it truly is a very interesting piece of land. Uh, when I was watching the Walker Cup, though, like when I was trying to think about like golf courses, it came to mind. It, it reminded me of if like. If, a, you know. If Augusta National and Shinnecock Hills kind of got together and whoa, <laughs> so well, because all right, so Augusta National is you're gonna see it, it's hilly, like it's even hillier than you, you see on TV. It, it yeah. the, the elevation changes here are stark. And in June in California, by that time, it's gonna be mega firm. Like I was watching guys, it's gonna be shopping. super, super firm, it's gonna yeah. be baked out. Yeah, no, the greens were concrete, no yeah. one was getting anywhere close to it. But then you have it's almost like Shinnecock then had an affair with Oakmont because the Bermuda Rough there <laughs> is so deep, so penal. Like Cam Champ on 18, like he was stuck under. That Bermuda rough, he could barely advance the ball. Are you sure it's Bermuda, by the way? 
It is. So it's Bermuda rough, Bermuda fairways, bent grass greens. Okay. Yeah. So that doesn't totally surprise me. A lot of golf clubs in LA are under that same vision. The golf course that I belong to in LA does it the same way where you have a lot of these that unless outside of Riviera, which is kind of the POA exception, you have a lot of these golf courses that are bent grass greens and Bermuda rough and fairways. And based on the climate that allows the greens, especially in those summer months in Los Angeles to get super, super, super freaking firm. Oh, for sure. And if you're coming out of that Bermuda rough, you're not getting any spin. Like nobody no, was no, getting no. close. No, especially yeah. off the green too. Like, yeah, you know, like, like there's a combination of there's some tight collection area, tight light collection areas as well, but there's also some deep, like gnarly fescue, like, like gnarly Bermuda rough too, like real rugged, like you mentioned. Like there's no real good place to miss on these greens, the bunkers as well. They were making, they're, they're talking about on the, the uh, telecast about how, listen, these guys are amateurs too. So their games aren't totally refined, but like no one was getting within like five, 10, 15 feet you know, on these bunkers because they're talking about the sand. It's very heavy. It was hard to get through the ball mm-hmm. and it just was really tough there. I like, so yeah, I think just kind of thinking about what types of golfers I think are going to be successful. I think this might end up being maybe one of those like, you know, hashtag team no putt events, because not yeah. only were guys, if you missed a green, you were not getting the ball close. You know, mm-hmm. it was really difficult to get up and down. And you see a lot of guys really struggling to hit five, six, seven, eight foot putts because greens are just like the putts are just breaking really dramatically. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember who I was watching, but he had like a five foot putt and he was, and he lined up. I think he, he counted for about eight, about eight inches of break and he still missed it uh, on the low side. So, you know, at that point you start thinking about, okay. And, and you can, it, this is a little bit of a debate as far as when conditions are that tough around the green and putting, what does that do? Do you want to go for the elite guys who can still kind of handle it? Or does that basically make it, kind of a crapshoot for anybody and just based on kind of what i saw it kind of seemed like a crapshoot for everybody just because it was so difficult it didn't matter really how good of a scramble you were how good of a putter you were like it was just tough and so i almost think like if you are somebody who's not a good ball striker and misses your fair share of greens it's gonna be tough for you and you rely on your short game to kind of ham and egg it around here. I think you're not going to be long for this place, but if you're somebody who just hits a lot of fairways, because I, I do think even though it is kind of relatively, it can be generous. If you are missing in that there's rock, room to operate off the tee. Now, the issue is that the fairways are going to be so freaking rock hard. They're yes. going to play a lot narrower than, you know, the width suggests. Yeah. And they, and they severely can't too. Like I'm like, again, look at number five, it, Five is sick. Yeah. So basically the high side of that is about 400 feet elevation. Low side is about 385. So it's about 15 feet of break there. So, and if you miss on the right there, you have a horrible angle. You really have to leave it up on the top shelf there. So while there is room to operate off the tee, like guys who are hitting from the fairway because of how rock hard these greens are going to be is it's going to be a premium. I think just long and straight is going to hit it good. And I think if you hit your long irons really good, which I didn't believe you when I think when we first talked about it, because I just assumed, okay, I didn't really go into the elevation changes of this place, or mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out what the scorecard was going to be. Because sometimes, you know, I saw the member scorecard and I'm like, all right, is this going to be a par four, par five? Um, well, I have I my all- predictions of what I think it's going to be. I've dove into this. Oh, I, 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 I think, 
I, I think actually I'm looking at the Walker Cup layout and just there's not really a whole lot else you can really stretch out with it. I think what they did for the Walker Cup is probably going to be pretty similar to what we're going to see at the U.S. Open with the exception of maybe I know on seven it can play as either par three or par four. No, so um, what I think they're yeah. going to do, Steve, is I think that they're going to have it's going to be a par seventy. And I was at at I was initially surprised about this because it's very rare that the USGA will go to a course that has five par threes. But from everything that I've heard, I think they're going to have five par threes and three par fives and play it as a par seventy, measuring seven thousand, you know, three hundred and eighty ish yards. Okay, so number four, the two hundred thirty yard par three down the hill. Number seven, which can play either a par three or par four. That's two so four down the hill. I think they're going to play that as a par three. Yep. And then there's 11, which actually for the Walker Cup in the final round played at 311. You were seeing Morikawa hit three wood off the. Uh, yeah. The, and the now, the it's, Walker, now it's really down the Walker Cup. They kind of switched it day by day, which I don't think the USGA would do, but that'd be kind of sick. Yeah. And then number 15 is a short little par uh, par three, like 133 yards is what they put for the Walker Cup. So, yeah, I, I think that's probably what they'll do. There's really only, I think, two par fives that actually play at kind of USGA par five length. One's it's easy, four. by the way. Like I have specific memories of one. Yeah. I birdied one. One is a very easy hole, uh, but I still think they're going to keep it as a par five. Well, that kind of makes sense because Riviera has, you know, the par Gentle four handshake. Half. Yeah. yeah th- just this a George this Thomas is- thing. Yeah, so it's it's 578 down the hill, basically. And you look at where some of the bunkers are, like the cross bunker, it's only about 280 to carry. And oh, yeah. That, that yeah, if it's downhill, gonna be no problem. yeah, that's going to be basically a par four and a half. So I was almost thinking, all right, is this going to play as a par four maybe? But because, you know, does the USGA really want to have like, you know, it'd be, it'd, start, be, but... it'd be really cool, Steve, if yeah. they got weird and switched the scorecard every day. And one day they had one playing as a par four. I mean, they did yep. that with Chambers Bay, right? Yes. And people mm-hmm. kind of freaked out, right? So I don't think they're going to go back and do that again. I wish they would for our entertainment. I agree. I think I think yeah. it'd be fun as hell, but I just don't think that they're they're going to do that again. I remember Spieth was like specifically complaining about that last time. But you know what's interesting to me, is, and we've basically the way that we're describing it right now, we're probably making it seem like this golf course is going to be, you know, the massacre at winged foot in 1974. Right. But I think that the USGA is kind of in a position where they've basically said to us like, Hey, look, our target scores five under. Okay. We're not going to fuck around with a guy winning it at plus two or plus three and getting complaints. And I think Los Angeles country club right off the bat, just already is a course that is going to open itself up to criticism. If they make it too hard, just because of how firm that type of place can get. So I think they're probably going to err on the side of caution and look like they don't have to do much to make this golf course incredibly hard, but they're like, for example, one, they're probably just going to leave it as a par five. Mm-hmm. Okay. Would yeah, be I mean, my guess. I, I don't you think, I think they're too afraid to fuck around with like a winning score of plus five, Steve. Yeah. I mean, I, well, even just looking like at this place, like if, if you can keep the ball in front of you and you're pretty good with your irons. Yeah. You definitely can get the five under like th- there's a lot of places though. If, if you're just loose, like, like if you're missing fairways, missing greens, like you, you're not making par. Basically, like there's going to be a huge dispersion of scores. I mean, there usually already is with the U.S. Open, but you're right. I don't think they have to really do much to, 
you know, make it difficult. There's also, I don't think, I mean, that time of year, there's not a whole lot of wind either. So you don't really have there's that not. concern. Yeah. It's, it's just the fact that it hasn't rained at all. So I think you're right. I think, you know, five under six under kind of what we've been seeing the last couple of years is going to be the winning score. Just, as, it's just really going to come down to what attributes you're going to value. And for me, I, it really just seems like if, if you are just, I mean, obviously with the U.S. Open, typically the best ball strikers usually win, but I think it's going to be really just maximized here where I think you're going to gain way more strokes on the green or on the field just by simply just being competent with your irons and hitting a lot of greens. Cause I, I don't think your guys are going to be able to recover, you know, often enough to save strokes. I, I think, think it's, I, do you think distance is going to be a big thing here? Um, I think that's going to be a narrative because I don't, I think that Oak Hill is the distance one. No, I, I, opinion. I, I think between, I think there's a lot of long approach shots, but there's a lot of long approach shots at every U S open. Sure. But um, think about Southern Hills, right. And think yeah. about like how firm that played and, and what happens when, how many more players that opens it up to when you get a golf course with firm fairways. It's true. I, I still noticed though, at the Walker cup, like a lot of guys had like, like, 190 200 plus right and obviously distance helps anywhere yeah. right like yeah distance it, it, it there's, does. there's there's not a single golf course on the planet where distance isn't going to be advantageous for you no I, I, I mean i, I would yeah. say that i don't think it's going to be a narrative that i'm going to be tracking closely for this particular tournament no i think i'm just looking overall just ball striking like yeah sure i'm gonna look at how you are your longer approach shots but like you know you look at a guy like morikawa not the longest guy off the tee he's a god from over two from like between like 175, 200, like 215. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm not like, it's definitely not a situation like Oak Hill where I think you are, have a giant advantage based on the weather conditions, how the turf conditions are to just carry and the, it out the, there. And the, where the, where the bunkers are set up on the course. Right? right. I mean, like I think with Oak Hill, you have this situation. We talked about this last time where I think it's incredibly advantageous to be able to have like 320 yard carry distance in your yes. bag. Whereas at this course, I mean, the bunkers are a little bit more spread out. Like we talked about with the really, the firmness of the fairways too. And it's really a golf course that you're right. It's kind of all out in front of you, right? Like they have a lot of very natural hazards with this yes. kind of barranca that, runs throughout the property and kind of intersects on a bunch of holes. Right. But I think the character of this course, Steve, right. Is it's kind of like a death by a thousand paper cuts course in my opinion. Right. And this is something you kind of notice and you could kind of say this about Southern Hills a little bit too. I think Southern Hills is, you know, a decent reference point. Obviously you had Russ Myers was the superintendent of LACC and then Russ Myers became the superintendent of Southern Hills. So, I mean, aesthetically, you're going to see some similarities between those two courses, but I think, you know, the name of the game is it's, it gets tricky with this U S opens because you start to say, okay, what's LACC going to play like? And it's like, well, LACC is going to play like a U.S. open because the USGA is going to set LACC up like a U.S. open. But I really do think that this is going to be, I use the term death by a thousand paper cuts, trying to think of a more eloquent way to say that, I guess it's just like, this is going to be a complete test from T to green. And you start to look at some of the, this isn't a trends podcast, right? Like, but we'll, we'll start talking about that when we get closer into it. But I remember talking about last year's U S open with you. Right. And it's, we started to emerge this thing where it's like, listen, man, like you can say goodbye now, if you're not in good ball striking form, like the right. way that they set up these courses nowadays, like 
it is just a prerequisite now. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I think if if you are struggling with your irons, like like you're not going to see like a Mackenzie Hughes kind of fake it around like you did Tory Pines. Like it, it, it's no, not I agree. It's not going to happen. Like it's going to be. I mean, we all know who the the premier ball strikers are, mm-hmm. and just generally speaking, you look at guys who tend to fit composed of top tens at leaderboards of the U S open. They tend to be the guys who generally are pretty good T to green that year recently. Like it's, it's not rocket science on this one. Uh, it's just going to come down to a matter of, okay, like, like you mentioned is distance a thing. Do you want a guy who is really, really elite around the green, or is it going to be just such a crapshoot because it's just so difficult where actually missing a green is a lot more penal than it is in other places. Yeah. Where do you it's- stand on that? By the way, I, I think it's it's I think it's a case by case basis. I really mm-hmm. do think just how low, how far beneath the putting surface some of these bunkers are. Yeah, and how and the runoffs too. Like some yep. of these, you're chipping uphill, and it's like you have you're like it's almost a blind chip that's on some of these holes. Well, yeah, yeah I remember. I, I think Hagistan missed a green, and it bounded off the slope, and it bounced like. 25 yards down to this low lying area with just a bunch of gnarly Bermuda. Like, yeah. and that's the thing you have, you have difficult bunkers. You have to get out of where the sand, these, the sand that is in them, it's difficult to get out of. And you remember have, last time we went to Russ Myers bunkers, everyone was complaining. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you had that, you have tight lie collection areas where you're going to be chipping off a tight Bermuda. And you had this really gnarly Bermuda rough as well, where, you can pop out of it, but it's not going to get close to the hole because you're going to have no spin. And you have undulating greens. Like these greens aren't yes. flat either. <laughs> no, they're not. Like like I mentioned, a guy was, he had a five foot putt. He was, he accounted for about six, seven, eight inches of break. He still missed. Yeah. You're so, aiming yeah. it outside the hole. Um, yes. All right. Well, do you want to start talking about some, I mean, should we hit on, are there any other comps that you want to throw up before we dive into the players? Like, I think people are going to, the obvious one, I mentioned Southern Hills, which I like, but the obvious one is Riviera. Yeah. Um, which is another George Thomas course. And I get it. I, I, I think there's something there for sure. I think the strategy of chipping and playing out of Kikuyu is pretty vastly different from the agronomy that you're going to have on this course. But in terms of like the design philosophy, sure. I mean, there are a ton of similarities between those courses. Yeah, I mean, as far as like, you know, the green complexes, you probably could see that too. I, I mean, like, yeah. honestly, just looking at this, like I would just kind of, I'm still wrapping my head around the piece of property. I was kind of just blown away by just the land and topography and everything like that. I'm still forming like comps and everything, but just, I, I just, what I see, what I saw from the telecast and what I'm seeing, just what this golf course kind of has to offer. It's, it's going to be less like comp courses, like resorting to that and more just, all right, what's your profile? What are you doing coming in? Are you just, and just kind of lean on that. It's going to be kind of boring picks, but. I mean, we all know who the premier ball strikers are, and I don't think it's really going to be a mystery as far as like the types of guys that I think are going to fare well. It's just going to come down to execution at that point. All right. So to recap what we did last time, me and Steve, last time we each picked a guy, three different types of players, a guy under 25 to one, a guy from 25 to 100 and a guy from 100 plus to basically give like, okay, here's one guy that you should maybe target in the futures market now. And we'll talk through like, Hey, are these guys that maybe you want to bet now? Are these guys maybe that you want to bet later? So we're basically each, uh, making these teams. So to give a recap, 
eye at the masters for my elite player. And once you take a guy, you can't take him anymore. Right. So I took John Rom. I can't use John Rom was my elite pick at the masters. I can't use him anymore for, you know, the U S open PGA or any of the other courses, but I took John Rom to win the masters. Who did you take Steve as your elite? I, I took Rory and okay, uh, just going, going with a fairy tale ending. Right. And then for middle tier, I believe, did you or I take Finau? Uh, you took Finau and I wasn't happy about it. Yeah, so, so I took Finau and you took what, Sungjae? I took Sungjae. Okay, cool. And then for my long shot, I took Justin Rose. <laughs> you did. <laughs> Who'd you take for it, your long shot? I took Bobby McIntyre, guy That's with right. uh, three top 25 finishes, the Masters. There you go. Um, yeah. And then for the PGA Championship, I took Rory McIlroy uh, as my lead. Who did you take? I took John Rom. Just you you know, Rom. the combination of just the length and actually off the tee, just all around game, kind of what we described is that we think is going to work at Oak Hill. I, I just think, I think he's going to be pretty good for that golf course. God, that's going to be so sick. I just submitted. I was I was talking to the guys over there, and it it it, it looks like I uh, I will be there joining you in person for that one. So good. I actually yeah. got a lot of chatter about uh, guys trying to coordinate with me. Was uh, Kershaw trying to sleep on your couch? No, I don't think Kershaw's trying to sleep on the couch. But he was, he was, he was fishing for tickets. I had our producer. Uh, he was booking a flight. We're talking about maybe some if we get some listeners up here, maybe some yeah. sort of golf outing or like happy hour or something. Uh, it's gonna be uh it's gonna be pretty good up here. I, I am very gonna be a very gracious host uh, to the city of Rochester for well, anybody well, who wants to travel up. In, in terms of lodging, I talked to you about this before, but they have these cottages for uh members um mm-hmm. they have these cottages that you can stay in kind of for the weekend now i would be very shocked if they're willing to give up one of those cottages on pg on pga championship week for like a brand new junior global member uh but yeah i i think that it is going to i'm i'll tell you one thing i'm not staying at the hotel that i stayed at last time that was a traumatic experience where i was very much <laughs> well acquainted with the mean streets of of rochester i can tell you one thing man it's a far cry from cam young man cam young did not know what's coming for him this year in rochester <laughs> no no he uh he got out of here pretty quick it seems like he, he knew what was up so uh all right so then i took will zalatoris as my mid-tier guy i think uh, i took cam I, young yeah you did i yeah, mean I and young. we made the uh the rochester's own cam young and i had to i'm like all right stop the podcast you got to explain that because no one knows who you're talking about besides <laughs> you and uh, and then i took alex noren as i could see yeah, you know like like like, like kind of like we talked about like with the mckenzie hughes of tory tory pines where like a guy misses a lot of greens but he's just a, a god at getting up and down i can see kind of a similar situation playing out at oak hill just because it is yeah there's some collectioners but a lot of it's kind of you know, i got some deeper rough too i, I think um a guy like alex noren can get up and down and stay relevant in uh that type of tournament and I went with Cameron Champ, who probably will not be qualified. Um, all right. Okay. So, so do you want to lead us off for the U.S. Open? Yeah, I, I will lead us off. So I had a difficult time going with two guys that played at the Walker Cup and then another guy who just kind of fits this difficult, you know, everything's out in front of you, teetering yeah. God. I think I'm going to go with Morikawa, though, as my yeah, lead guy. That was my backup. Yeah, so I mean, obviously he played the Walker Cup. I think he, I think he went four, either four and one, or I think no, it was either four and zero or three and one. Uh, There's a couple went, guys that went. He four went four. He went four and zero. 
Okay, so yeah. Morikawa went four and zero. Matt McNeely went four and zero too. Zalatoris three and one. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, they beat him by what, like twenty, <laughs> pretty yeah, much. So a lot of guys got shafted well. with his. Well, too. so I mean, you got a guy. He's seen this golf course before. We talked about where I we don't think really length is going to be that big of an edge. I mean, it helps everywhere, but I think he's just keeping the ball in front of you and hitting a bunch of greens, and he's a yeah. god with his longer approach shots. You know, he's played well. If you wanted to. Use Riviera as a copy finish second there uh, last year. Uh, I'm just going to take a he's guy. He's an LA who, guy too. I mean, he's yeah. pretty comfortable in, in around this area too. Yeah. So I'm just going to take Morikawa who, you know what? I mean, if the winds didn't blow at Brookline last year, he might've won the US Open. I mean, he was leading after 36 old. He played great on sure. Sunday. Just whatever happened, like the winds kicked up at, you know, on Saturday, he got blown out to sea, but not going to have to worry about the wind here. It's going to be, you know, just pretty firm conditions where as long as he drives the ball well, uh, I think he's going to hit way more greens than probably everybody else. That's not a shock or, or that's not a hot take. I'm just going to take Morikawa. I think he's really set up to do well at LACC. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I'm going to take Xander. Hey, Xander, let's win a major. Let's win a major, Xander. I've been... I've been on you forever, man. I think it's time. What? He's 27, 28 years old now. I, I now is as good of an opportunity as any, I think probably pound for pound. This is, eh, I mean, you can make a case for Augusta too. And in a lot of different places, he's had success at all of the different types of major championships, but I still think pound for pound, his kind of introduction into having success at major championships 
came at the U.S. Open. And I mean, he's a West Coast guy as well. So I think he'll be, I wonder, I'm going to be curious to see whether he stays in, now that that wouldn't make sense. He's not going to stay in San Diego, but uh, I'm taking Xander here. You know, he is 20 to one. Now we can talk about like, or, or, or is there anyone that you're seeing that you're like, this makes sense to bet now versus later? Because I'm not. No, I mean, I think we've kind of talked about this last podcast that it seems like the books have kind of put they all killed the, guys, the futures market. They, they fucking re- they, killed it. They really, yeah. they really did like that. Like podcasts like this serve a purpose of getting you guys introduced the, to what you probably should look for guys like generally we think like the types of players should do well, like throwing out some picks, but like, like I, I know we threw out like hundred to one picks, but like, I'm sorry, like Robert McIntyre's not winning the Masters. No chance. Like, I mean, and we're basically yeah. just doing the hundred to one just for fun as like a, you know, a long shot that's probably better suited for a DFS or top 40 play. But yeah, you start to feel like even more so maybe even more so at this major than the others too, is like, there is, such a limited handful of guys that feel like can win these majors. And it feels like it's starting to get smaller every year. I think like the Ben Curtis, Sean McKeel days might be behind us, my friend. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, I, I think we mentioned this on the last podcast where we're like back in like the two thousands, if one of six players didn't play good, pretty much everybody from like player 20 to 150 were basically the same player. Right, But nowadays, it seems like there's more guys up at the top with a shot to win. But then after that, the difference between them and like even like a Tom Hoagie or like like a Mad McNeely, like like they're good players, but they're just not on that level to win. So like like as far as the futures market, like I really only about maybe 60 to 150 to one. I could like, all right, I can maybe talk my way into them winning. But outside of that, like, yeah, it's probably not happening. So, you know, as far as like betting goes, unless you find somebody you really feel strong about, like maybe 50 to one or so that you think could win a couple times early, get down to maybe 20, 25, it's worth pulling the trigger. But even if you do that, like the different, if you're someone who just allocates and does like target units to win, how much you're actually betting between a guy who's 50 to one and like 30 to one. It's actually not that big of a difference as far as how much. Right. You're, yeah. How much Plus you're, you're also, so. you're tying up your money in exactly. December and you just don't know what can happen between now and then, especially in, you know, the current landscape that golf is in. Mm-hmm. You just never know. I'll lead us off in the mid tier. You know, I thought about kind of cheating here, Steve, a little bit, you know, you can find a 28 to one on DJ. And I think mm-hmm. this is a good spot for DJ. And I do think that, I think that live player, I think that a live player is going to be relevant in a major tournament this year. I, I'm not quite sure how I see that playing out. I, 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 I've on the record for saying that I'm actually a lot higher on the majors this year on DJ than I am for Cam Smith. I really like the way that LACC and Oak Hill uh, set up for Dustin Johnson, but I'm going to go with somebody that's a little bit more that you know, truly feels like a real mid-tier guy uh, that actually, I think this number could, I actually could see this number improving. Um, And I think that this is going to be a very, very popular selection the closer that we get to the tournament because he's another LA guy. But I don't think 50 to one on Max Homa is a terrible number. No, it isn't. I mean, he's a, you know, he's won a lot. I mean, obviously he's won the West Coast, won a Riviera. I think that's an obvious like comp there. There you go. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I, I think with Homa, I think you're hoping because it's what I talked about last podcast where usually these like breakout first time winners, they tended to actually have done something at a major beforehand. So I think if you want to bet on Homa, you're banking on maybe he does yeah. something a little bit of Augusta. He got um, a he 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 popped his head out at Southern Hills. I mean, it was like a T thirteen. Yeah, it was T thirteen. I I think he could, if like I know we mentioned TPC Potomac with uh, similar weather conditions as Oak Hill. You know, he won that golf course. Maybe he's relevant a little bit at Oak yeah. He's Hill. like a he's like a low key like tougher conditions guy. I feel like. yeah. So maybe that combination. Maybe he has a little bit of a close call at Oak Hill. Month later, gets out to the West Coast. And wins this. So I I could see that he was he was on I had five guys who were on my mid-tier. Was DJ was, on yours? Was DJ, DJ is and DJ's yeah. gonna be my pick. Yeah. All yeah. right. I mean, I I, I dug my own grave with that one. I had the pick and I'm I'm giving yeah. it to you. I mean, you talk about the fact that you know he's been if you want to go to the Riviera comp, he's been really good there. I think he's, he's like, like the two, king of Riviera, yeah. Yeah, he is two-time winner there. I mean, it's a different grass type, but if you want to talk about all right, similar green complexes, similar just you know, architecture, you know, you got that here. Really good with the longer protests. And just I mean, look, it, it's hard to gauge the actual health of his game because he's playing over and live, but I mean, just the eyeball test, he seems to be just playing pretty good. And it I don't really fine. Yeah, I don't really need to see any numbers, you know, behind what he's doing at Live. Just kind of just know, okay, he's hitting really good, solid approach shots, driving the ball really well. Um, and I, I think, you know, you get him here, uh, you know, a firm, difficult golf course. Um, I like him a lot. So I'll take DJ at 28 to 1 as uh, my mid tier guy. All right. We'll loop it back to you for a 100 plus. See, this is interesting. Um, it's pretty slim because you it, don't have a is, lot of that. You're not sure who's going to be qualified totally. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was mean, looking I, at the grid and I was like, oof. I mean, Kirk Kitayama could technically be there. He's in. The top I was team. looking at him too. He's good, yeah, man. Because, I was I was writing he, him up in a fantasy season long article. I'm pretty high on him. Yeah, yeah, he is. I like him for Oak Hill too. Um, yeah, sure. That's a candidate. You know, Brian Harmon. Oh, you motherfucker, possibly? Steve. I had a whole thing on him. That was my pick. I. Well, I don't know if I'm going to pick him. Okay, good. I hope not because I have a whole well, not you know, a whole I, Brian Harmon thing. I, I'll be I'll be nice and I'll give you Brian Harmon as because <laughs> look at us. So how, how being how, so cordial giving exactly. each other Brian? I'll Harmon give you Brian Harmon and I, and I'll, I'll I'll give the take like yeah like you know he's a short hitter but Aaron Hills he finished T two and that second was a, at seventy nine hundred yard a, firm and fast Aaron Hills yeah, billion miles long and yeah. you know I mean I just. We talked about where length might not matter a whole lot. I think maybe the firm condition can help him to, to here. So I, I like him. I maybe, the most, maybe the most quiet T6 at St. Andrews this year, too. Like yeah, Brian he's Harmon's play, good. He's been playing good, too. Like He's yeah. been playing. I, I, I He's helped a little bit by it's just not as deep now in the PGA Tour. But he's been legitimately good. Sure, but back-to-back runner-up finishes to end yeah. the season. Yeah. No, I, exactly. I, I think I'm going to go Harris English. I like that. And... We saw back some to back of- top fives at U.S. Opens in 2020 and 2021. Exactly, and, and he had the injury derail him, but we started to see some signs of life back in the fall. He finished top ten at Fortnite. He played a lot better at Houston than his final result. He had a bad Sunday. Uh, his first round leader at Mayakoba. Like this game is starting around back and forth, so maybe by the time we get back into June, he's a little more like the Harris English we kind of saw in 2020, 2021, where he just turns back into just. 
look like he's really good driver. Of the ball hits a lot of fairways, really good iron player too. That's going to be set up really good for a U.S. Open setup. Uh, at one fifty to one, that's also somebody too that if he does actually is back, wins a cup, maybe one or two tournaments before June. His number is going to be closer to 50 to one, you know, 45 to one, because, you know, he's going to be hot coming in and everybody knows the name Harris English. Like that could be actually a ticket. I could see where do I think he's actually going to win? Probably not, but you're holding a 150 to one ticket. And by the time tournament rolls around, he's like 60 to 150 to one. No, I'm a hundred percent with you. And I was just writing in the season long fantasy golf stuff that I'm doing for Rick Run good. Like I, I think he's going to bounce back this year in, in a pretty big way. I mean, this is a guy that, won twice in 2021 and he just had like a pretty bad injury but you already started to see this fall swing that he's you know he's starting to make cuts again and starting to get healthy so i like that one a lot um let's talk about royal liverpool right um do you have any any honorable mentions the only other guy that i had for 100 plus so my backup for 25 to one and under was zalatoris uh and then my backup for 100 plus was was your guy bobby mack so you have so you haven't taken Zalatoris yet then? No, I haven't taken Zalatoris yet. And to be honest with you, uh, spoiler alert, I don't know if he's my guy at Liverpool. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah. So okay. All right. Mm. That's in that's interesting. Cause I, I think I mean, I think Zalatoris is live with the Masters PGA and the US Open. I mean, I really like this. Oh, a hundred percent he's live. Yeah, I mean, are you I taking him. You're, are you taking him to win a major next year? Like you we'll do at the end. Like oh, you I've, have to name you have to name one guy for each major. He's one of your four. Yes, he is. Okay. I I think you actually Reference that question last podcast, and I kind of transitioned to Zalatoris because I think yeah. it just, I think three of these majors right here, I just, I, I think he's with how good of a ball striker he is. And he fits, especially for LACC. If I really think it's going to be kind of the hashtag team no puck guys, like, I mean, yeah. exhibit A with him. Yeah. So, but by, by the way, the, uh, there were a couple horrifying putter, putting strokes of Zalatoris. Um, oh, back in the day, too. He had that, it, he, so he, he, had what, it he wasn't arm locking yet. Like he had a two footer and he, like, he, Michael Myers, Jason Poor, he just stabbed at the ball, <laughs> just pop. And God forbid it went in. I don't know how, but it did. It, it was, it was, it made my eyeballs bleed. So if you want to go see that, he, he has not changed it. Honestly, the arm lock, I know it's ugly right now. It actually helped him a tremendous amount. It helps amount. him a ton, huh? Yes, um, um, all right, let's talk about Royal Liverpool. I'm, you know, this is the only major championship that I'm not going to next year unless somebody wants to invite me to uh, England. You know, I was, so I, I would say that I probably had, when I was doing my research, I, I knew the least about this course. I, I, was maybe the least excited about it. And I maybe walked away from it being like the most excited about it. So this is a golf course that was designed like many links courses, like many open championship venues is designed all the way back in 1871 by Robert Chambers and George Morris, actually, who's the younger brother of old Tom Morris. And then Harry Colt came in and redesigned the course in the early 20th century. But it's in this little uh, small town of Hoyt Lake, a town of only 5,000 people. The town next door is a little bit bigger, and that's you know probably where a lot of the uh, media members and the golfers are going to stay, but that's only a town of 12,000 people. So, you know, it's it's kind of this quaint little town in, in England, and it used to be a horse racing track, and it is a golf course that has hosted the Open 12 times most recently in 2014, which was won by Rory McIlroy. And then prior in 2006, which was won by Tiger Woods. And then you kind of had this big gap where it kind of fell out of the rotation 
basically from the 60s all the way up until when Tiger and Rory won in the in the 2000s and I, and I'll explain why I think it kind of fell out of favor and why now it's back in favor but you know the biggest thing that stood out to me Stephen there were a lot of changes which I'll talk about too but you know Rory won at 17 under par and Tiger won at 18 under par right and so we always talk about with the open we know this is the major championship that is most affected by weather but we've seen with this golf course before that on years where we don't get a ton of wind uh there's not much of a giant defense to this golf course and let me tell you they addressed that this year uh there were uh, they had a guy named Martin Ebert, uh, who I did some research on too. He seems like a pretty smart dude come in and make a ton of changes to this golf course. I mean, this golf course is going to look pretty different from the golf course that we saw in, in 2014 that, that Rory won at, but you know, the biggest change that I think is really cool. And we'll talk about is, uh, have you, uh, seen this or they have the new 17th hole is like this 135 yard par three. Oh yeah, I have. Unreal, uh, right? Yeah. So um if you want to see guys actually play it, uh Rick Shields, um, you know, the YouTube blogger, uh vlogger, he he played with as a producer a couple months back and they actually played the 17th, the new layout of it. And let's say it's only about 130, 133 yards, but man, that is a diabolical hole, especially if the wind is coming off the water. Tabletop like, green, you're looking right at the ocean. Yep. Oh yeah. I mean, so, so you have, it's, it's a tiny green too, with a couple, you know, coffin bunkers. Dramatic fall off on every side. It reminds yes. me a little bit like 11 at the country club, but mm -hmm. even more dramatic in my opinion, even harder. Yeah. Well, so, so here's, here's what you're going to have when you're on the tee box of 17. So it's only 133 yards. If the wind is blowing in your face. Okay, you have a couple options. Okay, it's only 133 yards. You can't really loft the ball really high into the air because it's just going to get eaten up by the wind. It's going to fall short and it's going to fall basically trickle down to this big, deep front bunker that is really difficult to get out of. I mean, the guys, you know, Rick Shields and his producer, they got out of the bunker. They couldn't really get the ball very close. Right. Um, and like you just mentioned, there is a giant fall off on the back of the green too where if you're a little hot with it, it's going to run back down the slope into another giant waste bunker behind the green there. Or you're like, all right, I got to flight the ball down, you know, lower, but maybe you catch it a little thin. You don't get as much spin. That's going to go all the way back down the other side there. And now you're chipping back up. It's, it is a, even though it's a short hole, it's going to be, you could see guys ping ponging it back and forth uh, very easily. If the weather, if the wind is definitely up. Well, just the spot in the round too, Steve, like think about mm -hmm. how, how often do we get to see, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like how many times do you have an outside of sawgrass? Do you have an absolutely diabolical par short par three? That is like your second final shot of the tournament, right? Mm -hmm. Like you are, this is a golf hole that is going to determine the tournament down the stretch like you are going to that is a golf hole that is going to be in players minds the entire round because you're going to be coming down the stretch and you're going to have to step up and hit like a delicate little wedge into a tabletop infinity green with the ocean in the background and the claret jug right there in front of you like i i think that what this is 
one of the cooler changes that I've seen, in, and we can talk about some of the other changes. I think 18 is a way better hole now. 18 is like now this long kind of grand finishing par five, but I was so, so psyched to see that they created this new hole. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like as far as like you just mentioned, like dramatic, difficult kind of, you know, par threes, they're, they're longer, but two come to mind. 17 at Pebble. With the hourglass green and yeah, this is bad. this is this is scarier than that. I feel no, like. I well, I mean, I'm just talking about like you know where you can really fuck up a tournament for and sure. We, for we sure, saw, for we sure. saw Spieth fuck it up this year. Harbor Town as well. That's you know that's a difficult. You know, you got that little tiny bunker to the the right there. You got the marsh to the left. Yeah. That's it reminds me of twelve at Augusta. The most is probably like the best kind of comp in terms of the fear that I think it's going to strike into players, yeah. right? Or, or or even like if you want to go back to Pebble, I mean like numbers number six. Yeah. Or it's num- easy. Number num- number seven. I mean it's it's down the hill. You got the wind, like it's it's a short hole, but you are worried if the wind dies, you're just gonna blast it, you know, over the green and over everything. Like yeah, that one's too easy. Okay. Well I mean just like style I know like, what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I'm so, with you. I'm with okay. you. So yeah, I mean, so so that was that was a giant a big change. Like yeah, they they lengthened number eighteen. I think it plays over six hundred yards. I think they also lengthened sixteen as well. They um, lengthened a bu- they lengthened a bunch of shit. I actually they don't have a scorecard out for it yet, Steve. But I I went through hole by hole and kind of figured it out. I think. Yeah, I I I, I did too. So I, I, so what else did you do to prep for this thing? Like so I ended up so we don't have shot link. For mm-hmm. the open championship. And, and one of the things that I always like seeing, besides like, you know, you know, like I usually just go to data off, I see the sh- you know, the approach shot distribution list. I also like right. kind of seeing like what types of you know clubs these guys are using off the tee. So really the only reference point, unfortunately, is 2014. Um, well, no, they have this this website, their website, they have this like really in-depth hole by hole with their club pro that talk through all the changes. So that's what kind of I was using. Okay. Well, as far as like like types of clubs these guys are using, like sure, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. So so I so my reference point was I watched Rory's final round in 2014 because back then, like I remember Rory basically kind of put it away on Saturday with the Eagle, and I yeah, I, Ricky I, was kind of a little bit hanging around, but yeah, yeah. Right. Sergio made a he pulled within one on Sunday, but that one seemed basically over on Sunday. So I or on Saturday, so I don't really remember much of the final round. The only thing I remember from Tiger's year was he didn't use driver at all because mm-hmm. uh, it was so firm. Yeah. So I remember the weather conditions back in 2014. It was pretty calm. The, it's the, I think they got a little bit of rain before the tournament too. So it was a little softer, not a whole lot of wind. Although one wave got completely fucked by the wind. Did they it really? Was, it was Adam Scott's wave. Because I remember he was a big favorite coming in because he just won the Masters previous year. He had come really close to win the Open. Um, Everybody, I think, that went out on Thursday morning got, and that was Rory's uh, uh, wave, dead calm conditions. And then you got some storms coming off the water there, blew everybody out to sea on Thursday afternoon. And then Friday continued. And then around noon, 1 o'clock, when all the other, you know, the the guys from the morning wave the previous day were going to tee off. The weather just cleared out again. So yeah. those guys, yeah. it was a giant wave split. So, and I, and it was a testament to Adam Scott to actually battle back for a top 10. Otherwise, I mean, he played very, very good golf that entire tournament, but he just was caught on the wrong wave. So that's, that's, that's a challenge of trying to handicap this tournament right now is because 
a lot of what we're going to be doing is going to be based on the weather. But anyway, so back to my original point. So what I wanted to do was go through and just look at what Rory used off the tee mm-hmm. and try and guess based on some landmarks of where he hits, you know, his approach shots, kind of gauge it back with Google Earth, and then I can kind of try and figure out just what this generally is a test of as far as like, you know, what type of approach shots you're going to be hitting. So right. um, one thing I was surprised at, and I guess I shouldn't have been surprised because Tiger didn't hit driver a whole lot. Is I just assumed just because Rory McIlroy like when I remember it just kind of blew out the field, even though he didn't really didn't, but I just assumed he, all right, he had driver and just, it was just like, he just kind of put the course to his knees. Well, he only hit four drivers in the final round. Did he really? Um, That's yeah. interesting. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so we had driver on. And now, now it's, they lengthened it a little bit. So, he and he, al- and he also was nursing a lead. So that could have been sure. part of that as well. Like maybe I have to go back and watch like Sergio's round. Like he was being a little more aggressive, see what he hit. But so he had driver on one, he had driver on five, the par five into the wind, uh, hit driver on seven. And then he only hit one driver down the back nine that, that, that could, that could also be, you know, you just didn't want to, you know, really screw up because you know the one place to really it's narrow it's it's pretty narrow it's, it's, it's narrow it's firm there's gorse yeah yeah like the rough the fescue rough also seems a little gnarlier there than mm-hmm. some other venues if, if you don't want to be in any of the pop bunkers off the fairway it's you can't get to the green no. uh there's some internal ob i think on number there's three. there is there's a lot of internal ob yeah so number three is only it played 426 back in 2014 uh-huh. but rory took an iron because there's ob on both sides and yep. he had about and i guess maybe about 200 yards into that green he did and so steve you'll like this i want to i'm going to send you the link to the pro kind of going through hole by hole because he was talking one thing that really stood out to me a lot and i think you're probably noticing this as well is like the pro kept saying he was kind of going through how to play the holes and he was like yeah you know you kind of have this uh choice off of every tee box where it's like do you lay back and face a longer approach shot coming in or do you play aggressively and his recommendation was like I would lay back and take the longer approach shots because you can shoot yourself out of this tournament by getting too aggressive off the tee. So one thing that really stood out to me is like, this is going to be a golf course that takes a lot of restraint and you're going to see a lot of guys hitting irons off tees. And what makes the course difficult is that they made it longer. So you're going to be kind of in this tough situation where you're kind of forced to hit irons off the tee, but still have long approach shots in. Yeah, I'm counting Rory hit iron off the tee on six par fours. Yeah. Uh, on two, yeah. three, and four, those are all irons. And you're exactly right. Just looking on the you know the broadcast where his tee shot landed, they were all short of the bunkers. He did not want to take them on. Like oh. on, on two, yeah, you could try and take them on. But if you end up in the bunkers and win the gorse, like you're screwed. Or the alternative is what I kind of estimated and found is that it's just a lot of shots between like 150, 160 and like 180 mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. and over and over and over. And that's yep. just what I end up focusing on. And I think that's just what I'm going to you know, do as far as like my proximity buckets and scoring buckets from those ranges is this is going to be a test really about how well you hit, you know, your mid irons to longer ish irons, which for a longer hitter is, you know, still like an eight iron or seven iron or so. So yeah, it's, it's just gonna be a big test. And it's kind of like what a lot of, Open championships are. It seems like that type of mold of guys who do well tend to excel from like 150 to 200. Yeah. Um, and just like you said, have a lot of patience, 
Like it's 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 not really a big mystery as far as like you think about the guys who tend to do well at, at an open championship. It's not really like your Bryson types, although he did well last year at Sanders. But like you know what I mean? Like like this yeah, type Sanders of track is so weird though. I think that, that yeah, this that's is gonna thing. be this is gonna go back to being a more old school open championship. Yeah, this, this is gonna be more patient. Like a guy like that, or like a Cam Young. Like I just I'm not sure if I really see like well, that yeah, type I mean, of guy for here. Right. Well, I want to present a theory to you too, that I, I think we're probably on the same page as this one as well. But I actually think that, you know, we see this happen a lot with these governing bodies where there's always feels like there's an overcorrection and trust me, like the RNA heard what people were saying about St. Andrews last year. Right. And that ended up being like a phenomenal major championship. I think a lot of people had some quibbles, with the golf course. Right. But uh, you know, there was, it was a, that is a major championship that had some problems, right? Like, because you know, they were forced in a lot of different cases and this created pace of play problems too, but they put themselves in a position where there, when there wasn't a lot of wind, where like they had to do some really funky pin positions that affected pace of play. Right. And like, it was, they had a really difficult time protecting par and I think, and I mean, I still, what was it one at 22 or 23 under or something like that, right? What did Cam Smith end up getting to? Do you get that? I, I think 20? it was, I think it was high teens. I thought it was 18 under. Yeah. But still yeah. same thing. Regardless it, it, though. Yeah. That's regardless. High. Right. Yeah. So, you know, they have made a concerted effort in my opinion to lengthen this golf course. I mapped out hole by hole and I have this playing as a par 72, 7,395 yards. Yep. That's um, exactly how I have it. Right. And so, no, but that's actually like, it's even, it only has three par threes and three par fives, right? So that's the reason why it's a par 72. You're not even getting that extra fourth par five. So I still, despite, you know, most people think par 72s are a little bit easier because you get the more par fives. I, you're only going to have three par fives here, but I actually think Steve, I think this is going to be a tough open championship. I really do believe that because I think there's going to be, I mean, it's all dependent on weather, right? If they get no weather, there's only so much they can do, but if they get a little bit of wind, you can see in some of these changes, you can see the way that the pro was talking about it. If you go through hole by hole where, where they set up these new tees, how they pinched in some of the fairways and grew out the rough, like there is a concerted effort this year to make this more of like a open championship. And I think it's going to be tough. Yeah. Like I, I think if we get some wind, I can kind of see um, like scoring somewhere to Burkdale. When we got a couple years ago, I I mean, it's impossible to predict with the win, but I think if we get win, like it's going to be way closer to 10 under than 20 under, hopefully. Yeah. And Burkdale, I think was 11 under was a winning score. And like, um, or even like Troom was an outlier because Phil and Stenson just blew up the field, but everybody else, like third place is what six under like, like that. I think like, as far as stylistically scoring wise, like it's not going to be a track meet kind of like what it was St. Andrews, where I think what even par minus one, I think was the cut. Um, I think you're right. I think this is going to be more of a traditional open championship than um, probably what we saw the last two years. I mean, Royal St. George's was relatively benign, mm-hmm. um, kind of bucked the trend to as far as like your open champion type golfer. Uh, Cause you know, like usually we think about open championship, you think about like, you know, experience, grizzle like you know God, like you're right we've had two years in a row where it's yeah. been kind of cheap I, i'm praying to god we get some and even and here. even the one before that was port rush 
right. which was that was that was more of an aerial game because like just how the greens were kind of set up. It which is sure. interesting though in that Port Rush was a Harry Cole, and then Harry Cole also did work did, here what in the twenty. Did so, here, yeah, he did yeah. Here. yeah. So I mean, I, I and Rory won. What was the Canadian Open? That was a uh, it was a Hamilton. Yeah, well, that was a Harry was Cole. It, wasn't uh, St George's? Uh, well, uh, well, St. George's was who did not, I, not Marikawa St. George's, the Canadian St. George's. No, I know. So he won that, but, but Hamilton Golf and Country Club was a Harry Colt. Yeah. I and then I, met, I, I, I remember because Portrush was a Colt and Lowry did really well at that yeah. Canadian Open. And then it was just obvious, like, oh, I should have picked him because, you know, you know, you basically, you know, that should, but yeah, like, I mean, um, I, I'm rambling at this point. I, I agree with you with all these things. I think it's going to be. Definitely a more traditional open championship plotter patience. Uh, I think it's gonna be a test between 150 and 200. I think the length is going to make it a little more difficult. I think it's very imperative to pick your line off the tee. I think straying really, off of it. Really tough tee shots. It seems like, like really it is. like you, yeah. you listen to the way some of these holes get described and it's like, you have internal OB on one side and a bunch of pop bunkers on the other side. And it's like, I think that this is way more of a thinking's man's golf course. And I went back and watched that film, the, uh, the open film with Rory. And, you know, it is, I think some of the time, like, you know, you think of Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods and especially Tiger way more than Rory, but like Tiger is like the most conservative golfer of all time. Like Tiger is the most plotter, you know, you saw in that open, he didn't, I mean, and he's done this at multi, he won at Southern Hills without pulling driver out of the bag too. So like that's, this is the kind of golf course that, I mean, honestly, I think that this is the best chance that he has a major this year by far. By like a landslide. So, I, re, so, re, so repeating, basically. I'm, 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 I'm talking about Tiger, not Rory. Oh, Tiger. Are we having this convo? No, I'm not picking him or anything <laughs> like that. I'm not betting him. I'm just saying, of the four venues, this is the one. I think he has a way better chance at this golf course than he does at LACC or Augusta, for that matter. I mean, or I think, I think, when, I, I think when you go to Augusta, you're gonna realize Tiger has zero shot of ever winning another Masters. I agree. I don't think, I don't think he has a shot at winning another Masters. I'm just saying, comparatively speaking, I think he has. If you're saying guns in my head, would you have to bet Tiger at one major? I'd be bet him at this one. Okay, I'm not even entertaining the question. <laughs> okay, I feel you. That's 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 fair. I'm just saying, okay. I think that it, his type of profile works out well. I I I, I agree. Is that. If he was going to win one where he doesn't have to hit driver a whole lot, he's got to survive the walk. I mean, it's it's still kind of it's not a flat piece of property either. There's still none of them is. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's a little tough on him. But you're right in the fact that theoretically, if there was one, it's it's not going to be LACC. You're right. right. It's not going to be LACC. It's, it's going to be this no. one. It's definitely no. not going to be OK. No. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's talk about uh, is it my turn or your turn first for for favorites? I think I, I think it's me because it's, you did wrap Yeah, because I I picked first the US Open, so this is definitely you. Okay, so one thing that has kind of I've been having a difficult time understanding and I don't think is going to hold uh throughout the rest of his career is Justin Thomas's struggles at open championships. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the best number that you can find on him right now is a 16. I bet him at the PGA last year at 20. And I obviously that ended up working out for me. And he's a guy that, you know, if he, he can sometimes get lost in the shuffle, like he is to me, a guy that anytime he hits 20, 
you have to think about it at the very least. And and I'm hopeful that maybe, you know, I, I have no interest in tying up my money with Justin Thomas at 16 to one, although he could go down, like they'll put him low if he goes on a run. Um, but no, I just, you know, we talked about this idea of how the open championship, a lot of it has turned into uh, a contest of between 150 and 200 yards. And we saw how that played out with Colin Morikawa at St. George's and, you know, we've seen Justin Thomas too, like at these point, like that one windy and, and a lot of this ends up being like way more anecdotal than based in reality, where we see something happen one time on TV and we suddenly think like, Oh, this is how it's always going to play out. But I do really think there is something to this creativity aspect with Justin Thomas, where it seems to get him a little bit more engaged in the golf, right? He's talked about before how he's used the word engaged before when you get difficult conditions, when you get wind. Um, and I think for whatever reason, success at the open has just kind of eluded him thus far in his career, but I don't really expect that to continue. And he would be my guy under 25 to one that I haven't used yet that I have kind of the most interest in getting down on. Okay. You know, I actually, because you're right, the Open Championship history has been pretty poor with him. But I kind of saw it with him at this place, too, as far yeah. as maybe that would be the breakout. I mean, it's you're kind of calling your shot because I think his best finish was T11 at Royal Port Rush back in 2019. Otherwise, it's just been, I don't think he has even a top 40. No bueno. Yeah. yeah. So, but but as far as a guy who just, you know, premier ball strike from 150 to 200, um, a guy who could get pretty squirrely with his driver, too. So if that's it is bag good point most part during this round that can work out just for don't him. hit it jt yeah yeah i mean you know maybe i mean he's good buddies with tiger maybe he'll tell him listen i didn't get a driver here maybe you can just do the same so um i don't mind that pick so i mean i you kind of got to think about like i mean a lot of elite guys that um i don't necessarily think are a great open championship fit here but you I haven't think picked yeah <laughs> i haven't picked yeah i think we go can't lay Oh man, we're doing this again, huh? We are doing this again. And you know, he kind he's he's the type of golfer where you know he's a bit of a plotter where I could see him really like liking this golf course and just being engaged with it. He's a thoughtful guy. Yeah. Uh really good from 150 to 200. I think if the scoring is like like I think of like like a 12 under to 15 under would be a good range for him. Like, like mm-hmm. if it's really difficult, I don't know if I really like, because I can't really think of too many situations where really difficult conditions is Patrick Cantlay. Sure. Um, but you know, greens, all the greens also, you know, in this, you know, on links golf course are tend to be pretty slow. Uh, he's got some success in slower greens in his career, you know, pebble, slow greens, those overseeded greens tend to be pretty slow. So he's usually pretty good on those. Um, I know. I just kind of think like, you know, like, like you mentioned a thoughtful guy, I think he, man, um, I think that he's going to, you know, basically do a good job being pretty consistent T to green. And I kind of like him for an open championship. I think, I, I think I could see him, you know, and he also got a top 10 last year at the scene at St. Andrews. I know it's a completely different type of golf course, but like he finally kind of got the monkey off his back a little bit as far as like a lack of major success. Maybe he can add, maybe a good finish at like Oak Hill or something and ride some momentum and maybe get his first major here. So I'll take Cantlay 25 to one. I think it's back to you for, I think we do a wraparound. Now my winner of this tournament is in the 25 to 100 range. So I really hope that you do not take my guy. Okay. 
I'm, I'm very gonna, nervous. I'm just going to lean to the narrative that he's never destined to win the United States. Oh my God. You're going to um, take my guy, aren't you? I'm taking Hovland. Nope. That is not my guy. Okay. I'm taking Hovland 30 to one. Ooh, interesting. I mean, okay. wait, Hovland's I mean, 30. That's a good number. Yeah. I found, yeah. I think that's a great number on him. Yeah. Hovland um, is a good number. I mean, we've, we've mentioned to, you know, last podcast that around the green has improved for him a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, maybe that is something that, you know, cause generally speaking, you know, guys who usually are pretty good around the green tend to be good profile fits for the open. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's something that is actually improved upon. He actually can do. Okay. Um, just premier ball striker, you know, is, you know, I, I think the Rory comps to him are unfair. They were never fair. They, yeah. they weren't fair, but guy who's really good from 150 to 200, really consistent T to green. A lot of examples of doing pretty well on slower uh, putting surfaces as well. I'm going to take him at 30 to one and maybe, and maybe the fact that he finally got a taste of, I mentioned this last show that he finally got a taste of being in the mix at a major championship venue. Maybe that's what he needs to kind of get over the hump. Maybe it could happen here. Uh, I think Tommy Fleetwood is going to win the open championship. Uh, I was so nervous that you were going to take me. Is he, isn't, does is he like, did he grow up like 10 miles from here? Sure. It's a little bit of pressure. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I actually, I, I didn't even know that. Is that a thing? God, it's, what, do you, what do you mean? Him? Is he actually really close to from the area? I didn't know it, that at all. Did, did he grow up? In, he's from Merseyside, right? Once we get into English geography, Steve. Yeah, I, I, I think, I, I think that's, I think that's right outside of Liverpool. So okay. he's, he's from the area. Sick. So, so, so home, home game. game. Home there game. we go. Home game. Um, Listen, I love Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy Fleetwood made me so much money last year at majors. I know he didn't win one, but he finished. He was one of the only guys to finish top five at both the Open Championship and the PGA Championship. I think he also finished like top 20 at the players. And he just, he had a good season. And I wrote him for a while last season. And he, um, he talked about how it was a little bit of like a, little bit of a career renaissance for him. You know, he ended up going through, I think he had some family struggles towards the end of the season uh, where he ended up being qualified for the FedEx cup playoffs, but didn't end up playing in them. And then he came back this fall swing and won on the Euro tour. Um, So I think I, I see big things in store for, for Tommy's future. I mean, this is a guy that you, you mentioned Shinnecock before. Uh, I mean, and obviously the Lowry year too at Portrush, he was right there. Um, I think he's good enough to win a major. I think if it's going to be, I, I mean, I like him at LACC too, but I, anytime you get firm and fast, a little bit of wind British, I could just see that disgustingly ugly Nike mock turtleneck flop sweater and his hair kind of flopping in the wind and him just huh how did tommy fleetwood's at nine under how did that happen so i'm gonna i'm gonna ride with my guy you know the best i see on him is 33 to 1 which i do not think is a good number i yeah god i would hope for 40 on him at least to 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 really pique my interest but he would be my guy in the middle tier yeah i i wonder how if he is gonna dip a little bit just because i think you're gonna have the narrative of our home game for Tommy. Um, Yeah. I, I I don't, I don't think he's going to, unless he plays just truly atrocious golf. I, I doubt he's going to be 
God, if you're if you if, if 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 you know if the home game is a real thing, I almost want to change my pick. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, too I, late. I, you are on record. No, I I know what you mean. Yeah, people I mean, are going to hold you already. to what you say back in December about who your open <laughs> championship pick is. All right, well, everybody's well, going to reference this. These these guys. What's annoying too is you know these guys already get this kind of inherent boost at the open. Like you notice how Tyrrell Hatton and Fleetwood are yes. always way lower at the open than they are at the masters or any of the U S events. It's like, they just get the, they just, people think cause they're from, you know, England that they get this boost, but <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. all right. I think, uh, I think you got the long shot pick then was your last one. Wait, did you, uh, you already did mid tier. Um, yep. Oh, I want to get my back. I, I think Neiman is, a, this is a good spot for Neiman. He was my backup by the way. I think, yeah, Neiman- I, Neiman I like 66 him. to one is a way better number than Fleetwood at 33 for the See, record. I do, but like, I think the combination of, I just, unless you're a DJ or Cam Smith, they're just a little bit of mystery as far as like what the live effect is going to be doing sure. to, to some of these guys. And I haven't seen him do it in a major championship venue yet. So, very um, fair. but very I think fair. his profile, I think he's a very talented golfer. It's a shame he went over to live. Um, but I, I, from what he brings to the table, a lot of things I'm looking for for this tournament, as far as like skill sets, he does have. So sure. I, I respect that. Um, um, is it you or me? It's you, right? Well, uh, so a couple of honorable mentions I had. Yeah, um, good. give me honorables for mid tier. Hold, hold on, I, where's my spreadsheet? I mean, Finau's forty to one. Decent That's a good open number. That's a, such a good number. Yeah, you're gonna cringe when I say this, but Tom Kim, forty to one. Yeah, I'm good on that one. Okay. All right. You know who we didn't talk about, Steve? We didn't talk about Jordan Spieth at all. We didn't. I mean, he's 20. To, that's another guy, though, that at the Open Championship, like, doesn't really matter because he always seems like he's in the mix. Like, him in the like Open Championship and the Masters, he's always going to be yeah. pretty high up there, no matter what the form. Like, so I, the best I could, I found him was like a 20 to one. Is on he's him. not playing well enough right now to be 20 to one, even if it is the Open yeah. Championship, but that's one to monitor. It, it, it is. I mean, he's always a threat to win it yeah. open just because of what his game naturally is. Yeah. So I just, I, I didn't pick it just cause I thought just based on his current play, I didn't go with that, but yeah, that, I think it's a good call. Um, who else? Daniel Berger, 75 to one. He's yeah. what's the mis- deal with him. I was writing him up in an article today about season long and it's like, there's no reporting in golf about injuries. Right. Like there's not one person that just like, why hasn't one media member just like called Daniel Berger's agent and been like, Hey, can we get a statement of like, what's actually going on with you? Not one person thought to do that. Well, the only person who did reporting on Daniel Berger injury was me at the masters, by the way, when I <laughs> saw right. him, I he had a bunker and shot. And made us some money that week, right? Yeah I, yeah. I think it was at the heritage. He like, he did okay, but like. I think he was really chalked that week, and I I I was following him, and I hit him some in a bunker shot, and he just went to the fetal position to do it. Well, <laughs> I'm like, that's what's so crazy about golf. Yeah. And what other sport can a guy get injured? And it's just like, oh, well, we'll see. I mean, he hasn't played right. since the freaking U.S. Open. He's a top twenty player in the world. Right. I mean, well, that's what's I mean, going on with him. I mean, that's the challenge about golf to begin with. I mean, like already day to day, it's really variable, but we have no idea. Like, okay, we could be looking at their past stats, but if they're nursing an injury or something, we, still we have absolutely no idea <laughs> with any of these guys. There's there's no Adam Shafter. There's no Ian Rappaport with this stuff. Like, I don't get it. 
God, it's know. an opening for somebody if they want it. Yeah. Well, anyways, yeah. like I think what Daniel Berger, if he's healthy, a 75 to one on him could number. provide some value if he does end up coming back, maybe wins a tournament by July. Uh, I could see him maybe creeping up to like 50, 45 to one if he's playing well. I mean, Adam Scott, 80 to one. Is he done winning majors? He's, yeah, I mean, he was really good. Seemed like it was money in the bank every single year at Open Championship. He's going to finish like top 10. Yeah. Does he have a little bit more magic in him? I don't know. Maybe. I, I, maybe. I would say maybe. Yeah. I, I don't maybe. think he's cooked necessarily. Okay. I mean, and, and the Open Championship is kind of like what you mentioned with Tiger. Like if there's going to be, you know, kind of an older guy who yeah, wins you get it, the, the Tom Watson year and yeah, that, that could be do it. Uh, and then Justin Rose, 101. My guy. So, yeah. Your yeah. guy. So, yeah. Ain't yeah, I, I, I think any of those are worthy picks. I mean, Rose, even though it's a hundred, I think you got to see a little bit more out of him. Uh, sure. First, but it's something the modern. So, all right. Um, I think uh, you got the last do, long shot pick. Yeah. Long shots. Um, God, the guy that came to mind just now that I didn't have written down was Fowler who finished second, but I don't know where you can find Fowler at if he's, in the eighties or one hundreds. I didn't see him on my odds board, maybe because he's not qualified. No, Honestly, he's, not, the, he's not qualified yet. Yeah. The two guys that I had written down, well, three guys, I, I, I'm just kind of, I had Sergio written down, but it's just like, like I'm just kind of done with that dude. He finished T2 here in 2014. Is but, he even going to be qualified by the time this rolls around in uh, I don't know. July? Good, good, good question. I mean, I'll tell you what. The three guys that I've written down, Steve, are Sergio, Bobby. I have Bobby Mack written down for everywhere, I think. And I don't think I've actually used him yet, so maybe this is the spot where I use Bobby Mack. But I have Sergio, Bobby Mack, and Molinari written down. Okay. Well, I'm trying to think. Frankie Meats. It's a, a five-year exemption for the Masters, so 18, 19, 20, 21. I think actually Sergio just gets cut off then. Really? So I think it would go back Whatever. to Patrick Reed. So yeah, that, that'd be wild. If I mean, I can't remember a open championship without Sergio. Would you rather so. bet Sergio or Patrick Reed? Honestly, Assuming probably, both are playing. Probably Reed. Uh, probably go Sergio. Probably. I, I, I think Sergio might be cooked. He might be. He certainly he might, might be. He might be. Yeah. Um, I'll go with Bobby Mack just for the purposes of our game. Okay. All right. That's fair. Uh, I mean, like, I kind of think, like, if you're just looking for a guy who just a kind of solid, he had a pretty solid major season last year. Just pretty efficient tee to green. Seems like a pretty consistent player. Pretty good between 150 and 200. How about just Aaron Wise at 130 to 1? He's, I was just writing about him, man. He is so good. Yeah. Like, and you uh, dig into the numbers with him, and he is so freaking good. Yeah. I mean, like, the ball striking numbers have always been really good. And now he's finally starting to putt pretty well, too, ever since yeah. he uh, switched to what my co host says, the cheater putter, which he might be right. <laughs> but solid major season last year. Um, by the time the open championship rolls into July, he could have maybe clipped off maybe a win to lower that number. Maybe he's somewhere between like 70, 60 to one at that point. Um, you know, maybe he does pretty well at one of the majors too to kind of boost that number. That could be a guy that I could see if you're holding a, a 130 to one on wise today, you can find some closing line value. Do I think he's actually going to win? Probably not. But I think based on his style of play, I could see him playing pretty well for a top 15 finish uh, at this type of track. Sure. I like it. Um, okay. All right, buddy. Let's do a quick rapid fire recap these are our on the record in december picks 
uh, yes. for the majors. One guy for each one. Let's go back and forth. Mm. Steve, who wins the Masters? I mean, I'm going to go with Rory. Okay. I'm going to go I, John Rahm. Okay. Yeah. Steve, who wins the PGA Championship? Zalzors. I'll go Rory. Steve, who wins the U.S. Open? I'm going to go Morikawa. I'm going to go Xander. I'm going to go Xander. Okay. And who? You got to get a little funky with one of them. It's not going to be all guys <laughs> under 20 to 1, buddy. Actually, was it last year? I feel like last year it was pretty... Yeah, Fitz, Fitz I, was Fitz was twenty five or something like that, right? He got like, C. He got C to twenty five. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's hard pressed for me to think like anything worse than forty to one. Just yeah, no, my out of the box yeah. pick is Fleetwood, who's thirty three to one. All um, right, so I'm not. Yeah, what's your who's your who wins the? Open? You know what? I mean, I'll. How about Fee now forty to one wins the open? It's a good one. Why not? It's a good one. Yeah. Why not? Okay. I like that a lot. Um. All right, Steve, any closing thoughts? What do you, do you got any uh, stuff you're doing on your podcast feed with Cap or anything like that? You want to do, I mean, how long have we been going right now? You want to uh, do a quick no. Ryder Cup? Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Can, can, I, can, I say, can I say one rant, by the way? Yeah, you can say one rant, but I don't want to talk about the Ryder okay. Cup right now. <laughs> so, so this year, the Ryder Cup is at Marco Simone. Uh-huh. It's, it's at the site of the Italian Open. And I was just thinking, all right, so the PGA Tour is trying to work with the DP World Championship as far as like, you know, mm-hmm. basically a partnership to combat live. The Italian Open, which usually you had back at the, the Ryder Cup back in 2018, guys wanted to go to Lake Golf National, get a scouting report for the US Open. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same fucking week as one of these bullshit elevated pip- cash grabs uh, at the Wells Fargo. So is it, is it really? It is. So you're going to have guys, and it's a perfect opportunity because the PGA Tour does not control the Ryder Cup. It's PGA of America, but mm-hmm. they can get some of that Ryder Cup buzz to say, look, like, why do you work with the European Tour yeah. and not What put the fuck the, is the point of the strategic alliance if you're not right. going to use it, right? And it's it's a national open, too. It's one of the better tournaments on their schedule. I mean, it's, you know, it's no kazoo classic, right. uh, but like... Can you actually work with the European tour to try to actually maybe create some events to kind of cross promote a little bit? Like how cool would it be if you put it, I don't know, can we just sacrifice the John Deere and maybe have the Italian open like that same week? And then you're going to have all the Ryder cup European hopefuls going over. You got some us guys going over there. They're probably going to be over there anyways, getting prepped for the Scottish open. Well, right. When they did the Genesis, I thought that worked. I thought that was a really cool event. Like, actually work with these guys instead of not talking to each other. And I don't know if it's the PG tour to blame or the European tour to blame, but they clearly did not communicate because this seems like a pretty good probably, opportunity. Probably a PGA tour strong arm. In Prob- the probably the not. So yeah. instead you're going to have guys either just either have to pick and choose. Do you want to get paid and stay on the pit list? Or do you want to go over and actually maybe check out this golf course because you want to play on the Ryder cup. So it's just, I just, from, I hate seeing stupidity on the PGA tour. And I've seen a lot of stupidity. No, that's Just a, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good rant. That's a, that's that, a, that very seems like a layup to yeah. try and actually maybe shoehorn your way into some Ryder cup buzz because you're not part of that process mm-hmm. by trying to create some Ryder cup drama by actually maybe propping that vetted up, telling some of your top us players to go play over there. Seems like a pretty good opportunity, but alas, you know, they're all going to go over to quail hollow and, 
Uh, we'll be talking about that instead. Is it back? I think it's it's Potomac, right? Or, or are we? Back no, it's it's back at Quail, there at Quail this year. Sick. Yep. Um, so. <laughs> um, all right. What do you? What do you? Are do you? Are you doing any like uh, any of your own season preview stuff with Capper or anything like yeah, that? Yeah. So we're going to do that next week. We're bringing on Brian Kirshner. Um, I will probably talk about a lot of the same stuff that I did over the last uh, two episodes with you. Probably can in a condensed hour version. This will be the Cliff Notes version. Okay. Uh, so we're going to do that. Uh, Capper and I are going to do a mailbag on uh, oh, Thursday. Yeah. So we'll answer some listener questions. We got some very uh, creative ones. But yeah, you know, check us out on Golf Gaming Podcast. Um, you know, we're gonna be coming back at you at least three times a week. Three uh, times a week next century. year. Yeah, it, it, you know, depending on our schedules. I mean, Capper and I listen. We don't do this full time. Um, we all we both have kids too. Sometimes stuff gets in the way, but we try to do it three times a week from Century all the way through the Tour Championship. So, what are the three podcasts you do? A DFS. You, you usually, do a do, and... usually we do Sunday preview where we kind of just debrief about the previous tournament, and I just go over the course, you know, some stats, leans, all that stuff. Monday we do DFS. Tuesday we do our betting show. So we tend to we do that all the way through. You guys are Except, content machines. I don't know. How with you do with it. some exceptions, we refuse to cover uh, the Zurich. Uh, we mm-hmm. take a week off for that. We refuse to cover the John Deere because it's usually Fourth of July weekend. Honestly, I just don't <laughs> really have this, the heart and the desire to try and break down why JT Poston at yeah. thirty to one is an awesome bet. It's fair. So, but regardless, we're gonna be back full time starting the Century Tournament Champions. We'll have a couple one off episodes between now and then. And uh, yeah, I know we're gonna have you on a bunch of times next year. That you mentioned that you're gonna be here at Oak Hill. We're looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. This was this was a treat and a privilege to. Uh, Break down the four major venues with you. You got it, buddy. Twitterless Steve. It was good to see you, my friend. All right. That is it for the podcast. Special thanks to RickRenGood.com. Special thanks to Twitterless Steve. And we will be back next week, I think, with something. Who can say? Uh, We'll have something for us next week on the podcast feed. But until then, best of luck with your bets this weekend. And we'll see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream... Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead center back road stop